What, what a testimony, huh? I love that you turned my morning into dancing, right? How many people, uh, if you were honest, uh, need to turn some morning into dancing in your life? I think so many people struggle with that. And so, uh, so it, it put the situation in his hands, which he basically was saying is, is I need to take my situation, my sadness, my depression, the, thing I've, the things I've been through, all of that, I need to take that and I need to put that into God's hands, right? And I need to trust him. Everybody say, I need to trust him. So we've been in a series called 80-20 Faith, and, uh, and so we started out in the beginning of June with this series, and if you haven't been, been here, uh, you can go online and you can listen to all of those. You can, uh, you can uh, either get them on our website or on Facebook. You can actually watch the video. And, uh, and so uh, I want to just do a quick recap of what 80-20 Faith is and what we've talked about. Uh, the, first, the first thing you need to understand is that we all want to be 100% devoted to God. That, that When we raised our hand one day or when we said a prayer with somebody to invite Jesus into our life, we wanted transformation. We wanted our life to be different. And, and we knew, at least we knew to some extent, that to do that we had to be devoted to God. We had to live this way. And so... Um, so anyway, the thing is, is that so many Christians don't live this way. Instead of living 100% devoted to God, we live maybe more like an 80%, 20% kind of life. We're 80-20 Christians. And, uh, and so we need, to, we need to figure out this 20% where we doubt or we don't apply God's word or we don't trust God or we, whatever it is. We, we need to figure out this 20% and figure out a way that we can begin working on getting rid of those areas so that we can become 100% devoted. Say, I want to be devoted. Yeah, so we, we've got to work on these things. And if we don't, then, then, then you know, we're, we're going to be missing certain areas of our faith. And, and uh, honestly, I think we're going to be missing out on some of the things that God has for our lives. And so, uh, so I want to recap real quick. We've done seven weeks already, seven of them. It's like the longest series ever. And uh, we got a few weeks left, but uh, today will be eight. So week one, we talked about sexual immorality and how so many Christians, uh, even though they know what the Bible says, they don't. They don't live it in their lives. They've got, they're dealing with sexual sin. Um, the second week, we talked about sacrifice, about how our life really shouldn't be about what we want. It should be about what God wants. And uh, we need to sacrifice of ourselves to allow God to do uh, his plan and his will. The third week, we talked about being a servant. And I invited you to join servant ministry here at the church and to, to be a servant to other people, uh, to see value in other people. Um, and so because if you can see somebody with value, then it's easier to serve them because you want to, you see them so valuable, as so valuable that you're like, you know what, I want to do this for that person to make them feel like they're valuable. Okay, so then uh, week four, we talked about reading the Bible and about how important it is that we're in the Word. And I, and I challenge you to get in the Word at least one minute a day, um, which is surprisingly hard in today's society. Uh, it's kind of sad to say, but it's true. Uh, I hope you're trying to do that. Week five, we talked about reconciliation, which is uh, a step past forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is just when you forgive somebody for what they're doing. Reconciliation is where you actually repair that relationship and bring it back into right standing. Um, then we talked about personal prayer and how, how God wants us to have conversation with him. And then last week we talked about praying for other people. You remember that? 
And I was pretty proud of some people. They came, there were even some people who came up and they felt like they should pray for me after service. And, uh, you know, often the pastor doesn't get prayed for. He prays for other people. And so I was like, this is really cool. People are being obedient to what the Lord is speaking to their heart about praying for other people. And, uh, and so anyway, again, you can go on and you can listen to these online and catch up if there's any that you miss. Uh, today, like I said already, we're going to tackle a huge, huge subject that people struggle with. Uh, but before we do, let, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for every person in this place. Thank you that your presence is already here. Lord, that, that we had this awesome time of worship where we just glorified you for everything that you've done for us. And so, God, we want to we keep on that with that heart, God, that we just want to glorify you. And we want our lives to glorify you. We don't want to be 80-20, God. We want to be 100% devoted to you. So, God, speak to our hearts about areas we need to change. Today, Lord, maybe we need to make a change in our heart. So motivate us and, and lead us through that change in our heart. God, give us ears that hear, hearts that understand, and give us minds that desire to live like you and to live for you. And God, let the words that I share not be my words, but be the words that you need me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you back there. That was great. Uh, so this is a huge subject that causes a lot of people to walk away from God. You know people who've walked away from God because of this question, because of this subject. And, and maybe even Cindy had this question uh, after she had her accident. The question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to Christians? Wait a second. I thought I made Jesus Lord of my life and that I wasn't going to have to deal with this anymore, that Jesus was fighting my battles, that he was leading the way, that, that, that with God in my life I wasn't going to have to face any kind of hard, hard situations or anything like that anymore. That is not true. And the Bible even says it. And so uh, I think we need to go through this step by step. I've got a couple of different uh, things I, I think we need to talk about. Um, and before we can really get to a place where we have an answer to that question. And, uh, and I can't promise you that I have all the answers. I've said this before. One of the hardest things for a pastor to say is, is the three words, I don't know, right? When people come up and they say, why did this happen to me or, or to my friend or to my family member? The hardest thing for me to do is to look them in the eye and say, I don't know. But we have to trust God anyway. And so, uh, so anyway, we're going to do our best to cover this subject today in one day. Everybody say one day. One day. We'll probably have four days of this. So, no, I don't know. So the first question I want to look at in, this, in the, this overarching question of why do bad things happen to good people is, is this first thing is why do people, both good and bad, why do they suffer? Why do we have pain? Why do we have things in our life? And, and we have to go back to the beginning of the Bible. We have to go back to the original situation that God had put us on this planet for. Because I think people get this bad feeling towards God because they think God is mean and he's causing these things to happen. But in the beginning, in the beginning in the garden, God created this paradise. And if you really look theologically, which is the study of the Bible and the study of, of Christianity, if you look at it, what, what theologians and all these people who've studied have really found throughout the word is that God never intended us to have pain. He never intended us to suffer, and he never intended us for, for us to wear clothes. No. <laughs> so I'm just saying, that's a, you know, Adam and Eve before sin, right? So, uh, so anyway, you got kids in the room. Hey, uh, sorry, that should have warned you. Uh, that wasn't in my notes. Maybe I'll strike it from second service. <laughs> but he never intended all of these things, okay? And, and all of that changed in one moment, right? It all changed when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Uh, he, we even see that God intended people to live forever. And we see that in, in ancient times. We see, 
these uh, you know, stories in the Bible of people who live for hundreds of years. And we go, how is that possible? Well, it's because you know, before, in the beginning, God intended us to be, we were made in his what? His image, right? And God is forever. And so, so he made us to be this, but things change. So uh, this rebellion caused a change in everything, everything. Okay, I want to read to you what happened after they, they rebelled against God and what God said to the people. So Genesis 3.16 says this. To the, women, to the woman, he said, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Verse 17, it says, To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, everybody say pain. pain. There was no pain before. Through painful toil, you will eat food. Uh, you, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, so hardship and struggle, okay? And you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, so work, you will, uh, you will eat your food until you return to the what? The ground. So before this, there was no mention of death. There was no mention of death ever before this. But now because of sin, because of this rebellion, God declares that there will be an end to your lifetime on earth. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So, uh, so to be clear... God never intended us for, for us to have greed or envy or struggle or pain or anything or even death. Okay? That was never intended. That was never God's plan. But because we rebelled against God, this situation changed. Everything changed. And so now, uh, when, when people talk to me about why do bad things happen, I, I often feel that we need to understand that bad things happen in the world primarily because of sin. Because of this moment when everything changed in the beginning and we saw a course of life that happened with people from there on out where there was a lot of pain and a lot of struggle. And, and there were a lot of times where people who didn't deserve to face pain or struggle or even death faced death. So the, Adam and Eve's kids, you remember their names? Cain and Abel, right? Cain and Abel. Well, well you know, they, the one brother killed the other brother. It wasn't the, the, the brother that died. It wasn't his fault that he died. It, it wasn't because of his sin or because of his issue or because of something he did wrong. It was because his brother sinned that caused death. It, it, it wasn't fair. It wasn't right. But a tragedy happened not because God said, I'm going to kill this person or I'm going to inflict pain, but because God, uh, because the, the situation changed and, and there was sin in this person's life. And so... Uh, Jesus makes a statement in, uh, I think it's Matthew, in Matthew 5 that, that helps us to understand this a little better. So I want to read this to you. It's in Matthew 5.45, and um, we're going to start it, like in the second sentence. It says this. It says, he, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the what? The unrighteous, Okay. So we think of rain, we think of negativity, because uh, everybody thinks, oh, a rainy day, want, want, right? But, but the, Jesus is talking to farmers, right? So sun and rain are both good things. And so what he's really doing is he's explaining that God sends blessing on good and bad people. 
that God will send blessing or he will, he will universally put out blessing because all, all good things come from the Father above, right? And so he sends good things to all people uh, no matter where they're at. He, he, he blesses them. And you might think, well, why? Why? So if we were to read the rest of Matthew 5, which we're not going to right now, Matthew 5 is all about loving your enemies, okay? And so God's example of loving your enemies, loving those who even don't love you back, is that he blesses even the unrighteous, even the, even the bad, even the people who don't love him back. God shows us how to love your enemies regardless of, of whether they like you or not, okay? And so in the same way, everybody say in the same way, God allows natural consequences uh, to affect us, okay? So when, when, uh, when I was younger and I was just dating my wife, we would, uh, we would be around her family and her grandfather. Uh, we, we nicknamed him Chief Sit and Growl because uh, that's just about all he did. He sat around and yelled at people. Uh, when, and when something would go wrong with, uh, with the kids or something, somebody would get hurt or something, what would he say all the time? He'd say, GP. And, we, and I, I came into the family like, GP, who, you know, what is he talking about? And he'd just go, GP, you know, and general principles, right? So he's like, natural consequences. <laughs> just stuff happens, right? Like, like you do that, it's going to cause problems for you. So, so God allows natural consequences to happen or to, to affect us or natural situations to happen to us. But this is the thing. The problem is that we take a posture with God of blaming God for the situations. We blame God. We, we take this position where it's like, God, I can't believe you would do that to me. When in those situations, who ever said that it was God's fault that that happened? Now, instead of realizing that so much tra tragedy and suffering in life is due to the natural consequences of, quen of sin, God, uh, or people point at God and they say, God, you, you're the one that did it. And I know the problem is we say, well, God's all powerful. He could swoop in and he could change anything at any moment. Why doesn't he do that for me? Why doesn't, why doesn't he change those situations? That's a great question. We'll get to that. Okay. The, the thing about sin is that it, it doesn't just affect one person. You know this because when you've sinned, it's hurt other people, right? You know that some of your sins have hurt other people really badly. And, and so uh, we have to understand that, I mean, in that situation, if you were the one sinning, you wouldn't point at God and go, God, why did you do that? Right? You go, e, I shouldn't have done that. Right? But the person who's hurt might feel like, God, why did you do that? Because they just can't understand why somebody would act the way they did, why somebody would make the decisions that they did or hurt somebody the way that they did. And, but, but again, from that perspective, from the victim perspective, you're going, God, why? From the person who hurt you perspective, you're going, eh, I shouldn't have done that. Or you're taking the responsibility. And, and in a way, that's where it should really be. So the Bible, I, I want to be clear, never says that you won't face struggles as a Christian. And that's, some, that's a big misconception with the church today is, is that we think that once we get saved, all our troubles are gone. That's not the case. In fact, the Bible over and over and over and over and over makes statements about how we're going to need God when we go through the what? The storm, right? Or the, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> that doesn't sound like roses and lollipops to me, right? That sounds terrible. But, but that, and that's talking about, some, and then it says, but the Lord is with me, right? So you have the Lord already. 
but you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. So when we really look at the Bible and what it says about having Christ in our lives, um, it, it doesn't say that we get out of the bad situations. It actually says that we have God with us. Okay, so uh, Psalm 46, 1, this is a good example of this. It says this, you, you've probably heard this before. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in, tr- in times of trouble. Have you heard that scripture before? A lot of people don't re- read the next verse that comes along. They just put this one on their wall from Hobby Lobby, right? They just like, oh, that's great. I'm going to put that in my room. When I'm fighting with my husband, I'll look over at it. And, I'll, and he helps me in times of trouble. But we ignore the times of trouble, right? The next verse is, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall to the heart of the sea. That seems like pretty epic trouble to me. Um, Verse 3, it says, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So it's followed up with these images of extreme danger or pain or struggle or everything. And, and, but yet, right before, we only quote the first part of it where it says, oh, he's my refuge and my strength, you know. And, and this is where we have to get to if we want to be 100% devoted to God in this situation of our lives is that we have to stop blaming God and we need to run to God. We need to stop blaming him and we need to start running to him. That's what the scripture is talking about. God is our refuge and strength. A refuge is a place you go to when you're in trouble, a place of safety. You know, it's a place, strength, everybody, you know, when we're down, when we're, when you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand, you know, like he's our strength to pick us up. Nobody laughs at that. You don't know that song? We could sing, hello, darkness, my old friend, because that's where most Christians are. I got to remember that for next service. That was great. But it's hard when we're in a tough spot, isn't it? To run to God instead of blaming him. We want to go, what's up, God? Why, God? Why would you do this? I told the story at the end of last week's service about the young lady that passed away from that lung cancer and how we went and prayed for her week after week after week, and we watched her slowly fade away and then pass. And, and my heart still breaks when I think about it. And, uh, and I think, why, God? Why, God? Why does that happen? But But... Why, why do I think that it's God's fault that that happened? I think the other question, the next question we have to cover with this is, is the question that a lot of people ask when they're going through it is the question, is God mad at me? What did I do wrong, God? Do I have something wrong in my life? Is there some reason why you're causing this to happen to me? I don't, do I deserve this, God? I have so many people who have said to me things like, you know, I don't think God even hears my prayers because my life is just a mess and I must not be good enough for him to hear my prayers or my life must be so messed up that, that there's no hope for me. God must not think there's hope for me. And I think like, whoa, where, where are you receiving this lie from? Because the Bible is really clear about how God feels about you. He cares for you. He loves you. You matter to him. He sent his son to die for you. It, it, I mean, that scripture that stands out that we all know, John 3, 16, for God so what? Loved the world. And when he's talking about the world, he's not talking about rocks and trees. He's talking about you. That he gave his one and only son. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrate his own what? Love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. This means he loves you, and this is how he feels about you. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't want 
pain for you or anything bad for you. He wants redemption for you. Everybody say redemption. redemption. He wants redemption for you. For you. In, in the simplest way of saying it, uh, you can write it down, is you matter to God. And you have to, you have to believe and understand and accept that you matter to God. Everybody say, I matter to God. You matter to God. God is not mad at you. He wants to rescue you. This is why there's so much written in the Bible about how God wanted to redeem, forgive, reconcile, save humanity. So if we were to go back to Genesis 3 and we were to read that thing that he said about, about how childbirth will be painful and how you'll toil in the fields and you'll eventually face death, you'll go back to the ground. What you'd read is, is immediately God begins a redemption plan for everybody. He doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't go, well, that's your punishment. Face it forever, and you're never, it's never going to change. And he, No, he begins a redemption plan because he cares so much for you that he wants you to be back in the fray. He wants you to be back in his family. He wants you to have him on your side, leading you and guiding you and, and, and all of that stuff. And, uh, and remember, in the beginning, God didn't walk away from humanity. Humanity walked away from God. We walked away from him. He didn't say, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, I'm leaving you behind. There's a snake with an apple over there. Go eat it. You know, he didn't say that. No, that happened on our own. And then he said, now here's the plan for redemption. It's, it's, it's just, the problem is, is it's natural to blame God. My, I, my youngest son, Owen, is, is three. I think he's the cutest of all my children. Don't tell them that. And, uh. I think they probably would agree, too. And anyway, so he's so funny, though, because, uh, like, you don't have to discipline him uh, really hard at all when he's doing something wrong. Uh, last night, I went up to him, and I tried to, like, flick him in the shoulder because he was begging for something, and we kept telling him to stop, and I, and I flick him in the shoulder, and I missed him. I missed him. Like, my finger just barely grazed his shoulder. I mean, it, like, I didn't even feel it. I don't think I even hit him. And he drops to the floor. <laughs> And he sits down and he's like, you flicked me. And I'm like, well, don't beg. You know? Anyway, so his big thing, it worked. I didn't even have to actually do it. That's the best discipline. <laughs> but uh, he's, so fun. he's so funny. He does this all the time. If we have to discipline him, he, he, he sits down on the floor, crosses his arms. He goes, I don't like you and I am not playing with you anymore. <laughs> and I'm like... So I always, as soon as he says it, and he just, hmm, I said, never. He's like, never. And I was like, so you're not going to the ice cream shop with me later? Okay, I'll play with you again. <laughs> I mean, it's instant every time, isn't it? It's so funny, instant. He's like, I, and I think this is so how, how we are with God when we feel like something goes bad. And now I'm not saying that God punishes you with bad situations, but when bad things happen, I mean, with Owen, I actually didn't punish him. He just went to the floor. <laughs> but, uh, like, when bad things happen, because we feel like it's God's fault, we immediately are like, I don't want to play with you anymore, God. I don't want you in my life. I don't want to, I, I don't, I, ever again, I don't want to do that. But as soon as we realize that we need him, we go running back to him. And so we do this cat and mouse game kind of thing, this Owen and Ross thing, where, where it's like, I don't like you, and now I like you, and now I don't like you, and now I like you, and I don't like you, and now I like you. And, and, but, but the problem is, again, we just keep putting our circumstances in, like, like we blame God for those things. 
And because we're blaming him instead of running to him, we see him as a mean God who treats us poorly or treats our family poorly or causes cancer or death or pain or whatever it is. And we blame him for all of that. But that's not God's, that's not God's deal. That's not the way that he rolls. That's not his, his plan for you is not to inflict pain on your life. The word's so, so clear. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the what? The good. Of those who love him, right? He works for the good. So God can take your circumstances, and if you'll let him, he can turn them into something that glorifies him and redeems you. But you got to remember, you have to have circumstances first. There are, so you, you're going to face circumstances. Though the oceans roar and the mountains crumble to the depths of the sea. That's what, that's what Psalm says about life. That the oceans are going to roar and the mountains are going to crumble to the sea. And that he is your refuge and your strength in the times of tr- trouble. And, and that instead of us trying to blame God for our circumstances, we should be putting our circumstances in his hands. Bringing our circumstance to him instead of saying it's his fault from the outset. We go to him and say, God, I need you to take these circumstances. And when we do that, when we say, okay, God, you can have these, then, then we give him the opportunity to turn situations around. Then we give him the opportunity to change things. So can you put your circumstances in God's hand? I know this doesn't answer every question. I know that doesn't answer why your aunt passed away or your, your loved one or why this accident happened or why Cindy went through what she went through. Do I think that's fair? Absolutely not. I don't think that's fair. But I realize that circumstances happen, that, that things happen in people's lives, and, and sometimes it's just it's a result of sin. It's a result of other things that happen. In, in we gotta, instead of blaming God, we've got to just give him those things. In James uh, 1, he says this, and this just blows people's minds, I think. James 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure what? Joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Everybody say persevere. Perseverance. And this says in verse 4, it says, Let's Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Count it all joy. I, uh, we had pizza with the pastors on Thursday. And, uh, and uh, when we were all sitting together, these, these teens had some great questions. It was for the teenagers. The 412 group came in, and we sat around and ate pizza together and let, let them ask a bunch of questions. And, um, one of them said, hey, do you think there's, there's a difference between joy and happiness? And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a great question. Do you think there's a difference between joy and happiness? Well, in trials, we tend to not be very happy, right? Because we don't feel good about what's happening. But we can choose to be joyful in that trial, to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be okay. That's not being happy. That's choosing to have a positive outlook and to say, I trust God. I can be joyful because I know God's going to turn this around for something better. I know that in the end, God's plan is going to happen because I'm willing to allow him to lead me. Really, what a lot of this whole series has been about is has been about relying on God. 
about taking whatever that circumstance is, whatever your 20% is, and saying, God, you can have it. I give it to you, and I'll let you take care of it. I don't need to take care of it myself. And, and, and this is what I think is so good, because it's funny. When you meet somebody who's been through a lot of tough things, and they've stuck it out with God, you, you find out and you see that they seem to be very deep in their Christianity or really close to God, and, and they're the kind of people you look at and go, man, I wish I was kind of like them, and they go, no, you don't. You don't know what I've been through, right? But that maturity in their faith, it says it comes from perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Perseverance through what? Through the mountains crumbling into the sea, through the waves that roar and rage in your life giving those things to God, seeing God come through, seeing God, even if the situation doesn't feel good, seeing God redeem it and going, I know I can rely on God from here on out. My faith is maturing because of not just the great things that I experience, but the trials I go through where I rely on God. You got to rely on God. I can't answer why those bad things happen to you, but I can say, that with God on our side, you can make it through those things. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to be in the valley. But the Lord leads you out. He leads you out. So let me just kind of bring this last, uh, last thought together. There's a, uh, the worship leader at Gateway Church down in, uh, in Dallas, Texas. I was there just, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. And, uh, and anyway, he wrote a book called how, uh, how to Worship a King. Or How to Worship the King. And, uh, and he told this story, a true story, about his life. So I want to share that story with you. It's not mine, it's his, but you can, you can read it. It's in chapter 6 of his book. Um, he explained that they, uh, they were, him and his wife, they were pregnant, and they were pretty far along in the pregnancy. And, uh, and on Saturday, before a Sunday service, he had to play on Sunday and lead worship to, the, to like 20,000 people because the church is huge. On Saturday, his wife miscarried, and it was really a really terrible experience, and it just crushed them. And he decided that he was going to stay, and he was going to play anyway. He was going to worship God the next day at service anyway. And so he gets into the very first service of the day, and he's halfway through the worship set leading people, and he said he just couldn't hold it together, and he just broke down on stage and just started crying. Everything fell apart. The band had to stop and everything, which is a worship leader's worst nightmare, by the way. And... Uh, he said he was just sobbing on the stage and had to kind of collect himself. And he, he, he just said, I, the church didn't know what was going on. No, nobody said anything. His wife just didn't come to church that day. And so he said, I might as well tell the church why I'm crying on stage. And so he tells them all about what happened. And then he says, you know, sometimes we just don't understand it. He said, we prayed every prayer we could think of. We called every pastor, every friend, every spiritual leader we've ever had and had them pray over us as we were going through the miscarriage process, like to save the baby's life. He's like, I know that God has the power to raise my child from the dead inside my wife's womb. I know that. He's like, we quoted every Bible verse we could quote. We did, we did everything you could possibly do that they could imagine in their minds to, to ask God to save their child, and their child passed away. And he made a, he made a really interesting statement that he pulled off the audio, audio recording later. And, and this is what he said to the people. He said, I don't trust God because he always does what I want. I trust him because he's already proven to me that he loves me, and that even though I don't always understand him, I know that he always has my best in mind. So 
I'm, I'm not speaking from my experience. I'm letting his experience speak to, speak to you today. He went through a terrible tragedy that doesn't make any sense. And yet he stands there and he says, I trust God not because of what happened yesterday, but because how God has always or already shown me how much he loves me, and I trust him no matter what. What a great point of view, and what a, what a good one for each one of us. And this sounds kind of like heresy, so I don't want you to like, like, you know, come against me, but maybe some of us need to forgive God for things we've been holding against him that were never his fault in the first place. I know that doesn't seem to line up with the word, but then again, there are a lot of people who walk away from God because they're angry with him. And maybe you need to have a moment of forgiveness today to say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that into your hands. I'm sorry that I've held back from you because of the thing that I was blaming you for. I realize that it's not your fault and I'm gonna choose to trust you right now no matter what the situation is. And then he made a, 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 he said a quote in the Bible, or not in the Bible, he's in his book. It's not the Bible, sorry. Um, but he said this quote and it really stood out to me. I thought it was really good. He said, if the church would stop pretending that bad things do not happen to good people and, and would let people be real, we might have something to actually offer the world. Let me read it again. He said, if the church would stop pretending that bad things do, uh, would stop pretending that bad things don't happen to good people and let people be real, we might have something to offer the world. Guys, one of the problems with the way that we have gone out and told people about Christianity is we have told them that if, we get, if they get saved, they'll never struggle again. And then when they see us go through trial, when they see, see you know, Cindy wearing her neck brace around, when they see things like that, they go, wait a second, I thought that you said that you would never face that, so your God must not be real. No, 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 no. Becoming a Christian means that when bad things happen to you, you have God to pick you up, to dust you off and to say, come on, let's keep going. It's not just to stop anything from happening, but it's that you have a resource that will pick you up. Um, one of the things that my wife and I say a lot, and she actually talked about it at the Women of Purpose Bible Study this week, is we always, when we pray, we pray, God, we pray that you will go before us and that you will lead our way. God, we ask that you stand behind us and you protect us from anything coming up behind us. And God, we ask that when we feel weak and that we're struggling, that you come up on each side of us to hold us up. Like When we begin to rely on God that way, we begin to say, God, no matter the circumstance, I just give it to you and allow you to be in control. It can bring joy to our hearts. It can bring peace in the storm. It can help us make it through it. And I think there's probably some people here who need hope who've been blaming God and who've been struggling through this part of their life because they don't, they're losing their trust in God because they feel like God's the one who inflicted pain on them when in reality, God's the one who wants to pick you up. God wants to be your hope in your storm. Let's not be 80-20 Christians. Let's not blame God for the things that happen. Instead, let's be 100% devoted Christians who rely on him in every situation we face. Amen? Let's bow our heads real quick. Before I pray, with your eyes closed, if there's something or some situation or someone in your life that's hurt you, some, something that's gone wrong, something that's caused you pain, and you've been blaming God for it, would you right now in this moment, in your heart, in your spirit, would you forgive God? Or would, or would you ask for forgiveness for what's going on in your life? And say, God, I'm sorry that I blamed you. 
I'm sorry that I blamed you. And instead of blaming you, God, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to allow you to hold my circumstances in your hands. Say, God, I love you. And I know you can turn it around. And I know you can heal my heart. Father, thank you for all of these people in this room. God, I know that you love them. They know that you love them. God, they know that that you have their best in mind, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like their situation is perfect. God, I pray that you speak to them about the truth, that you love them so much, no matter their circumstances. And God, I pray that those circumstances they just put into your hands, that you will take them and that you will work them in a way that maybe they never expected, to work on their heart, to help them persevere, to help them grow in their relationship with you, to help them to trust you more, and to help them to live the life that you've got planned out for them, the direction and the future that you have for them. And I thank you that this group of people is here desiring to grow deeper with you. And so, God, I pray that that's what happens here, that they're growing and and maturing and growing closer with you every single day. If you're here right now and you, you... Uh, you feel like your life has no direction or you're really struggling with what's going on and today you realize that you need God in your life. Maybe your circumstances are bad and you need God in your life to go before you, to stand behind you and to help you up. What you really need is you need Jesus. You need to make a choice to make Jesus Lord of your life. Jesus is your connection to God, your connection to have relationship with the Father who loves you so much. We've talked many times today about how Jesus, how he gave his life on the cross so that you could have life, so he could pay for your sin, so that you don't have to be bound by that thing, that rebellion that Adam and Eve went through at the beginning. That was God's redemption plan for you. And today you can say, I want that redemption plan. I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. So uh, if that's you and you know you want to make Jesus Lord, you want to begin this life with him, with everybody's eyes closed, nobody looking around, just lift your hand up. Is there anybody that knows they want to make Jesus Lord? Awesome. All right. The ushers are just handing you some information. As well, if you're watching online right now, it doesn't matter where you're at. You can lift your hand up and God knows your heart and he knows right where you are. And he'll meet you today, whether it's in your house or in your car, wherever you're at. The Bible's really clear about how we become believers, how we follow God. The first is we got to believe that Jesus truly redeemed us when he died on the cross, defeated the grave, and rose again. You don't have to pay for your sin anymore. God takes that from you. He doesn't see you that way anymore. And he has a purpose for you. And the first steps of your purpose is that every day, the the words you say and the life you live, that it declares that Jesus is Lord. And so begin living the kind of love that Jesus loved you with. And begin living the kind of life that the Bible teaches us to. And watch how God transforms your whole situation. And you can begin living this life with God and allowing him to hold on to your circumstances all the time. So we're going to say a prayer. And if you just pray it with me, uh, this is you uh, inviting Jesus into your life. And we're going to say it together as a family today and welcome you into the family of God. Say this with me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, defeat the grave, and to rise again so that I could be saved. I was a sinner and I needed forgiveness. Thank you for giving it to me. Today I choose to make Jesus 
Lord of my life, I choose to rely on you from this day on. Lead me, guide me, and speak to me as I live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Awesome, guys. Awesome. See you in the foyer.